All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm really not I'm excited about the things of the Lord. <clears throat> I'm excited we're not like Solomon. Now, if you're sort of new tonight, let me catch you up. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. But I'm going to go back and do about a two or three minute review. Remind yourself in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 uh, that the Solomon was writing this book. And he's writing it because he is so discouraged with life. Remember, he's the richest man in his day. He's the wisest man to ever live. And he's got a thousand wives. And he's got gold and silver that he cannot count. He said that silver is like stones in Israel, in Jerusalem, because he has so much wealth. And he sits down and he is miserable. And you'll notice, if you would, in verse number uh, verse number 13 of chapter 1, And I gave my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. I, I wanted to just sort of sit down and think about all kinds of things that are done. And he said, This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. It was miserable just thinking about all the things that are happening on earth. And you'll notice, if you would, in verse number 17, he said, and I gave my heart to know wisdom. And he said, I perceive this also as vexation of spirit. And then you'll notice in chapter 2, he said in verse number 4, I, and this is the chapter that's got 41 eyes in it. I did this. I did that. So you know he's lifted up with pride, and the pride has put him at the bottom of life. And you'll notice in verse 4, he said, I got me great works. I builded me houses, plural. I planted me vineyards, plural. I got me gardens and orchards, all plural. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. So he's got peach trees, and he's got apple trees, and he's got cherry trees, and he's got, you just name it. Um, and, and you have to understand in this day, you didn't go down to the grocery store and buy uh, cherries, and you didn't go down to the grocery store and buy whatever. Um, uh, you had to grow it. So he's got it all in his backyard. Notice, if you would, in verse number 7. And I had me servants and maidens, and I had servants born in my house, and I had great possessions of great, small, and cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. He had the largest cattle herd of anybody that's ever lived in Jerusalem. Notice verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Verse 10. And this is really the culmination of these three chapters. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not from my heart any joy. And he looked in verse 11 and said, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there is no profit under the sun. You know what he said? He said, I'm empty. It didn't bring me the joy I thought it would. I'm miserable. And the word vanity is to be empty. Vexation is to be grieved. He said, I, I, nothing is worthwhile. And then you'll notice in chapter 2, verse 17, 
Therefore, I hated life. And folks, tonight, that's what happens when you and I end up uh, getting so uh, caught up with life that we are living for today. We are living for the things of this life. You and I have to be so careful. Now, I want you to understand God. I want you to understand this. God is not against wealth. God made Job the richest man of the East. He gave to Solomon the wealth because Solomon didn't ask for it. He asked for wisdom as a young boy and as a young man said, so that I could lead these people right. Well, God gave him wisdom and said, because you didn't ask for fame or wealth or money, he said, I'm going to give all of it to you. So here's Solomon shifts his focus from wanting to do what's right for the Lord's sake, from taking his life and making it count for the Lord. And all of this other stuff was just an additional blessing to making the additional blessings the purpose of his life. And when he did that, he lost purpose completely because the gold and the silver bought everything that he wanted, whatever his eyes saw, but it didn't make him happy. Remember this. The Lord of heaven is the only one that can give you the joy of heart and the peace that passes all understanding. And he does that when you live your life, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Lord, do you, do you want me to give this person a track? Lord, do you want me to uh, encourage that person over there? Lord, do you want me to invite that person to church? Lord, uh, do you want me to uh, fix a meal and take it to that family? Lord, uh, can I help this person with a ride somewhere? In other words, you're leaving your life to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to work today, but I'm going to serve you. Lord, I'm going to do my best to work for your glory. So now your purpose is no longer to live and make money. Your purpose is no longer to, uh, to buy and acquire wealth. Your purpose is, Lord, I want to please you. If you lose that, you've got the whole book of Ecclesiastes to look at. Life is empty. Now, turn me if you would. And notice in chapter 3, he said, to everything there is a season. And he lists uh, about seven or eight verses of things that happen in life. And you'll notice he says uh, in verse number, uh, verse number 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Speaking about the Lord. He knows the Lord, but he's not serving the Lord. Now, I want you to understand this. Everything that a Christian does can be in service to the Lord. You can raise your children for the Lord. Lord, these are not my children, they're yours. Help me to train them for your glory. Or you can put your arms around the kid, these are mine. And God can make your life miserable. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. We cannot focus on the things. Now, Let's go over to our, our, our outline tonight, chapter 4, and notice with me, if you would, in verse 1. So I returned to consider all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And when he says he returned, he's like, I sat down and I thought about it. So notice in the outline, Solomon sat down and examined some of life's conclusions, his life's conclusions. So he sits down and he says, 
I need to look at things from a perspective of really why, what's happening. Well, you'll notice he says in Rome number 1a, there is no help for the oppressed. The oppressor has all the power. So he looks around and he sees uh, rich people that are uh, putting their thumb on poor people. He's seeing educated people putting their thumb on uneducated people. And he says, I see the oppressed or controlling the, uh, uh, the, the weak. And he says, that's not fair. And so he says, but it happens all over. Life is miserable. Notice the next thing he looks at. B, the dead are better off than both the living and the ones to be born. Look what he says in verse 2. Now keep in mind, he's sitting down and contemplating, examining things in his life things that he's done, things that he sees. Most people are not wise enough to do this. And they don't want to do it because their conclusion is, I've been living for the wrong reason. So notice what he says, verse 2. Wherefore I praised the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. So he said, look, Life is not worth living. You remember in chapter 2, he said, I hated life. Now he says, somebody that's dead has got it better off than somebody that's left living. And part of the reason is because if you don't change your life's purpose, every day is difficult. Every day that you do something, you can't lay your head down on your pillow and say, boy, I tell you, the Lord was good to me today. Lord, are you pleased with what I did? You can't ask that. If you try to train your children while your husband's at work, if you're a stay-at-home mom, because you're trying to please the Lord, then you can lay your head down on your pillow at night and say, Lord, I did my best for you. Training children becomes your best. If you're at work and you're running cable, but you're trying to do it the best you can, um, there's an electrical room back here that an electrician and his team put all the conduits in their place. And you will never in your life see an electrical room with all of the conduits straight, evenly measured. It is a beautiful room. He didn't have to do that. But he takes pride in his work. Now, when a Christian takes pride in their work, for the Lord's sake, you've had a good day. Most people don't do that. They go to work. They're going there to make a living. They come home, and life can be difficult. They complain about the traffic. They they complain about the people they work with, and life becomes difficult. But anything you and I do for the Lord's sake changes everything because the Lord is proud of us, and that joy that the Lord gives to us makes life worth living. Solomon says, Well, I'm praising the dead because they don't have to worry about getting up tomorrow. Notice, if you would, see in the outline. Even when we do right and labor and increase, others are jealous and mean-spirited. That's even a waste. Anybody ever got a promotion and maybe somebody was a little jealous of it? Or you got a bonus or you got a raise and you talked about it to somebody and somebody said, well, I wish I'd have gotten one. It's like it's sort of deflating that 
people don't rejoice with you at the, the benefits that God allows you to have. So understand, he, he looks at it and says, boy, it's a waste even when you get ahead and somebody complains about it. Uh, that happens, but it's, it has no effect on, I did it for your sake, Lord. The whole world can be mad at you. Uh, uh, Jeremiah was thrown into a prison where the mud was up to his, 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 his uh, armpits, and he was down 20 or 30 feet. And he yet said, Lord, I, I know you know where I am. He was still not saying, Lord, kill me. I hated life. He pled to the Lord for help, and the Lord did help him. But what I'm trying to say is that everything in our life, if we give it over to the Lord, it gives purpose to it. Ecclesiastes is a life lived without purpose, except I wanted this, I want that, I want to do this, I want to do that. And folks, don't let your heart go there. Ask yourself, examine your heart, why am I doing this? Who am I doing it for? If you're doing it for the Lord, it is an eternal effort. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said some build their lives with wood, hay, and stubble. It's they do it for themselves or for someone else, but they don't do it for the Lord's sake. Notice, if you would, in the outline, uh, D, the opposite is also a waste. A man is foolish, lazy, and wastes away because he won't work. It is a sad, disappointing thing to see a family member that will not work hard. Anybody got people like that that you know of at work or you see family? They just don't want to do much. And you see them not have anything and it's grievous. You just want them, look, try. And so Solomon looks out and says, look, it's even a vanity. Look, people are lazy. Even if you work hard, people don't are jealous of you. And if you don't work at all, look what you get. Life is vanity. It's a terrible way to look at life. But everything you do when you get up in the morning, Lord, this day is for you. It brings a bounce in your step. It brings a joy in your heart. And you may have to stop during the day a few times to remind yourself when you got three years old and four-year-olds are running all over the place. And you say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. I'm trying not to lose any of them. And so they're running all over the place. You're trying to do your best. Remember, all of us in this room, we have challenges in our job, but the Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And when you and I put our purpose to the Lord, everything becomes a work that's eternal. Notice, if you would, Roman numeral 2 in the outline, Solomon expressed words of wisdom. Uh, notice in verse 6 of chapter 4, better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. I wonder if all of us in this room would say, I'd rather have very little and have peace in my, in my home than a lot and arguments, fussing and fighting. Now, understand, it doesn't have to be either or. When you put the Lord first, the fruits of blessing are there. But whenever you put the Lord down the list and you're working for the fruits and the blessings, it, 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 the, the, the family and people 
there's not a purpose. And they begin to argue and fuss and fight. And uh, why does he have one and I don't have one? And why does she get to do that? Why I can't do this? It becomes a vexation of spirit. And that's what Solomon is saying. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's not money and misery or no money and peace. But what he's saying is it's better to have a little bit and a lot of peace and joy than it is a lot and no peace and joy. And so when you and I look at that, it's a tremendously wise statement. But you don't have to look at it and say, well, then I better not try to make money. You say, Lord, I, I, I want to make the money that you want me to make. I'll leave it in your hands. And then what God gives to us is not something we clutch with our hands. It's something we can easily give away and be a benefit and a blessing. Most people don't have that joy. Folks, God doesn't give us wealth to do this. He gives us wealth to take care of ourselves, our family, and to be a blessing to others and to give back to him. That's why he gives us wealth. But he wants you to give your heart to him first and let him give you the wealth as a result of your diligent efforts. And so Solomon looks out and says, you know what I've noticed? I'm the richest man on earth, but it's better to have a little bit in joy than to have all this and vexation of spirit. He's beginning to let you see a little bit into his heart. Let's read it again. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Quietness, like a Hebrew word for calm, settleness, a blessed home. Notice, if you would, in verse number 7, then I returned. When he says returned, I, I, I returned to my thoughts. I sat down and sort of thought about it again, and I saw vanity under the sun. Notice what he says. Uh, B in the outline, Roman numeral 2. In the outline, A, better is peace with a little on every, than everything you desire with travail and vexation. That's his thoughts on verse on number A, I mean letter A. B, there were other vanities he expressed. So he first looks at it and says, let me give you something really good here. He said it's better to have a handful and peace than both the hands full in misery. And that was a good thought. But then notice, if you would be in the outline, there were other vanities he expressed. One, he thought if a man was alone and only had himself to take care of, even his laborers are without end. Notice in verse 8, there is one alone, and there is not a second. There's no one else with him. Yet he hath neither child nor brother. He's, he's truly alone. Yet is there no end of all his labor. He's got to do everything. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches because he hadn't got anybody to spend it on. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? Why am I doing all this? Who am I going to give it to? Who can I share it with? Notice, if you would, B1, he thought if a man was alone and only had himself, 
Even his labors don't have an end. They don't have a purpose. So God calls many people to be alone. That's not a problem if they're living for the Lord. God can use them in mighty ways. But if all you're looking at is, what can I spend my money on? I don't have anybody. You're going to think you're going to begin to hate life. That's what happened to Solomon. Notice, if you would, in the outline number two, he again questioned to whom he would leave all of his riches. Nothing satisfied him in his thoughts. Look at verse 8 again. For whom, at the bottom of the verse, for whom do I labor? Why am I doing this? And bereave my soul of good. I'm working so hard. I'm doing so much. I, I don't have time to do good things that I enjoy. This is also vanity, and it's a sore travail. So understand, he's, he's complaining about having friends because they're jealous. He's complaining about being alone because I don't have any friends. It's like he's sitting there, and his thoughts are going everywhere, and he is just seeing all of the empty glass, none of the full. If you see a glass and it's half full of your favorite drink, you can look at it and say, well, it's half full. He's saying it's mostly empty. And so his life is empty because everything is got a problem with it. Notice, if you would, in the outline, see, he recommended both marriage and friendship. So he's not being crazy here. Notice what he says in verse number two, verse number nine. Two are better than one because they have good reward for the labor. A team is better. Two of us can work together. We can save our money together. We can, uh, uh, we can work together. We can, we can go in the fields together. When I get tired, you can pick me up. When you get tired, I can pick you up. That's what he's saying here. Two are better than one. But notice in verse 10, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. So uh, he's speaking about marriage and friendship. And you'll notice in verse number 11, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. So if if a couple is married and, and uh, it's cold, uh, they can make it because uh, the heat of their bodies is together. And he said, notice, how can one be warm alone? So again, he's looking at everything that he can that's, that's wrong with life. Now notice with me, if you would, in the outline, C1, they are a blessing to each other. And they can accomplish more as a team, a married couple. And he's correct. But you'll notice, if number two, if one falls and makes a mistake in judgment, he has someone to help him get up and keep going. And God intended marriage to be just that. He intended your marriage to be one that you can encourage one another when somebody is down. Uh, you can, uh, you can uh, uh, strengthen someone when someone has fallen. Um, uh, it is important. I remember uh, back on July 4th, my wife fell on the pavement and broke her, her cheekbone in two or three places in her wrist. And uh, I set her down on a rock, and I, I, I ran back to the uh, uh, apartment and got my, my pickup and came back and got her. 
and took her, we're going to take her to the emergency room, said, please just take me home. Well, I did, but you may need to think about it. What if she had been alone? Two people, you have someone to help you. Now, notice if you would, he says, number three, the outline, a married couple can give comfort to one another. Uh, they can uh, sleep together and have peace. They can, they can be good to each other. Uh, they can share things together. They can take care of each other. And he said, that's a good thing. Now, notice, number four, if an enemy came, two could stand together and not yield to the enemy. Three is even better against an enemy. Notice verse 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. So if one person, uh, you're married and, and uh, you know, someone, there was an enemy that, uh, that came at you, uh, two people are better than one. Then he said, and it's even better if you got three. Now, you see his random thoughts. At one point in time, he's talking about the comfort of a married couple. At another time, he's thinking about if they fall down, one of them can help the other up. But then he, he, he looks at it and he says, a three-fold cord, three cord is not easily broken. So he's saying if you take a rope and you make three twines with it, it, it is a very strong rope. Verses 1. So that reading at the beginning, he says, if you're, if you're alone, he said, that's pretty miserable. Now he goes down through and gets uh, the, the, to the bottom and says, well, you know, marriage is good. Now, understand, he's miserable because he's got a thousand wives. What am I going to do now? Who am I going to be with? They argue with each other. They fight with each other. He said, life is miserable. He didn't want it to be that way. And God told him in Deuteronomy, only have one wife, and he didn't listen. And God told him to have a copy of the Scriptures and read it, and he didn't listen. And so as a result, his life has become difficult. Notice this in, in the outline. Uh, number four, if an enemy come, two can stand together and not yield to the enemy. Three is even better against the enemy. And then notice D. It is better to be a lowly listener than a stubborn king. Look at verse 13. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king will nobody be admonished. Solomon is very good at giving out these, uh, these little quips of, wor of phrases that, that have a lot of meaning to them. And what he's saying is it's better to have a child that listens. And it, this is a, a point that all of us can learn from and work with our children. It's better to have a child that listens than, oh, than me that I never listen. So tonight, all of us can look at this and say, I'd, I'd rather be a listener than be stubborn and know it all. And that's what he's saying. Then notice, if you would, E in the outline, and this is something that really kind of, uh, I think, affects all of us if we're not careful. Notice E, people live and die with no end. We're going to read the passage of Scripture in just a minute. All are forgotten eventually. And this is vanity and vexation of spirit. Why is it vexation of spirit? Because he says, notice if you would, in verse number 13, verse number 16, there is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that shall come after them shall not rejoice in him. 
Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. You know what he's trying to say? He's saying, I want to be remembered. And nobody's going to remember me when I die. You'll notice in the outline, he said people live and die, and it just goes on and on and on. That's what he's saying in verse 16. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. The people that have died before them, there's no end of those. You can look at a, a graveyard, and it just goes on and on and on. And, and you begin to think, like if you've gone by Arlington Cemetery, and you see all those white crosses, uh, they remind you of the sacrifice, but not of an individual person necessarily. So they're forgotten in his mind. If you're living to be remembered, you won't be. If you're living to please the Lord, he'll remember you. And then you'll have people that remember the way you lived and say, that's what I want. How many of you have a family member or someone that you know that you have so much respect for the way they live. And you have had that in the past of people that have died. And when they come to your mind, you, they, there's an example in your mind. How many of you got somebody like that? Raise your hand. Let me see it. Yep, all over. And so you see that example. They're not forgotten. Oh, sure, three or four generations out they are. And that's what Solomon's saying. I want to always be remembered. Well, the only way for that to happen is for you and I to walk right and do right and leave generations behind us doing what's right. Jonathan Edwards, and he had generations to follow. One vice president, I forget how many judges, hundreds of preachers, Jonathan Edwards' family. And that name will go on for forever because he did so much for the Lord's sake. Now, here you and I are, Solomon, we're going to remember him forever because he did the wrong things. He is remembered for the wrong things. And so you and I look at it and say, I, I, I want to be remembered by everybody for something. Back up a little bit and say, Lord, I want to be remembered that I loved you and served you. That everything I did was for your sake. When I went to work, I wanted the joy of the Lord, and I wanted to work hard, as hard as you could have me work, and I wanted to work good, accurate. I wanted to be a blessing to my employer. I wanted them to be proud of me because I want you to be pleased with me. That's what motivates a Christian. If you're living for any other reason, you're going to be empty. Because your boss is going to say, hey, could you do this? Could you do that? Or you're not going to get recognized sometimes. And the end result is there's going to be an emptiness in your heart. But if you're working for the Lord's sake, he has never missed a thing that you've done. He is always pleased with us unless he corrects us. And then we say, Lord, thank you for correcting me. Lord, I want to do things right. So right and wrong, we can look up and do as Job said, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I serve you. Christians don't have to live like Solomon and have an empty life. But the secret to it, notice if you would in the outline, Rome number three. Solomon lived to be somebody and wanted to be remembered. 
as somebody on this earth. He had lost all vision of pleasing his God and the eternal rewards that God alone will give to the faithful. Let's not make Solomon's mistakes. Tonight, if you look at this passage, you'll find that Solomon is rambling. He's sitting down. He's trying to remember things. Some are good. Some are not good. To praise the dead more than the living. He's empty. But tonight, folks, you and I don't have to be. If you have your Bible, close with this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll close and go to prayer. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice with me if you would. Verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. You're going to be remembered. All that you did will be remembered. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. That's the day we stand before the Lord. Because it shall be revealed by fire. When you and I do things for the Lord's glory and the Lord's sake, it's going to come through the fire. And notice verse number 14. If any man's work abides which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And so there is joy in heaven. There is a thrill to be able to say, Lord, I did this for you. It's like Christmas for someone you love. I did this for you. But notice verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. He's going to heaven, but he's going to see the God that saved him, that died for him with the nail prints in his hand and the scars in his forehead, and he has nothing to offer him to say, Lord, I did this for you. So, his life is empty. Tonight, that was Solomon. I did this. I did that. I got me I, everything my eyes desired, I did. Tonight, turn your desires of the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Let's bow forward to prayer tonight. Ask the penis to come and Play a verse of invitation hymn. And we have about 10 minutes before the children are dismissed. And I'd like to ask you to just take a few minutes and pray, whether it be three or four minutes or five, all 10, and then slip to the lobby and fellowship, encourage one another as the children are dismissed. But you've got a prayer list there. Could I encourage you to take a few minutes and pray over that prayer list? Father, tonight, we do love you, and I pray that you would help us to avoid the mistakes of Solomon. Lord, filthy rich, famously wealthy, and everybody knew his wisdom, but Lord, he was empty because he didn't any of it for you. Now speak to our hearts tonight. Hear our prayers. In your name we pray. Amen.